If you would, please turn to John's Gospel this morning. The reason we're not looking at Palm Sunday in Mark's Gospel is because that will break up the continuity <laughs> of that series. So, so we're going to just move over to John's Gospel this morning. And we're going to look at the 12th chapter. And we're going to read from verses 12 through 19. 12 through 19 of chapter 12 of John's Gospel. Listen carefully to the holy infallible word of God. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Our Lord, we ask that we would understand more and more the significance of our Savior coming into the world. We're thankful for his blessing, his gift, his willing path to go to the cross on our behalf. We understand that it is for our redemption from our sin. We praise your name for this, this act of reconciliation on our behalf with a holy and righteous God. In Christ's name, amen. For many of us in the body of Christ, the gospel of John is at the top of our list of being perhaps our favorite book in the entire Bible. In light of its popularity, if I recall correctly, 
when the new international version, the NIV, was about to be launched, it came out with a preview of its translation by placing the Gospel of John in the marketplace for public for the public to get a good taste of that new translation. If I recall correctly also, in 1966, the American Bible Society came out with a new translation. Some in this congregation may remember that, a new translation of the New Testament called The Good News for Modern Man. It advertised itself as the translation of the Bible that will read like a newspaper in order to relate to the new rock and roll generation. In 1969, as I worked in a hotel for my summer job on the New Jersey shore, the Christians who were on staff from various colleges organized a Bible study for the non-Christian college students on staff. And what book of the Bible did we choose in this new newspaper edition of the good news for modern man? Yep. You guessed it, (laughs) the Gospel of John. The Gospel from the hand of whom it was said that Jesus loved has such a beautiful picture of our Savior's love, his compassion, his deep, intimate relationship with for his sheep, his clear willingness in grace to go to the cross For his children, one should not miss the clear identity of his person from probably the most famous prologue in the entire Bible. And yet some are able in their sinful nature to exchange the plain and clear teaching in John's prologue for a lie, for a lie. I place that issue before us this morning by reciting the Nicene Creed. What false teaching, what lie was the Nicene Creed countering? It was countering a heretical teaching of Arius and his followers, known as the Arians, who viewed the word the word that appears there in John 1.1 as a God, not as God himself. Thus, a brilliant commissioner to the Nicene Council by the name of Athanasius championed the true biblical identity of Christ found in John 1.1 and throughout the Gospel of John as well as the entire Bible. The language is precise and clear in countering the Arian heretical teaching. Yes, every true Christian through the Holy Spirit affirms with their lips and believes in their hearts in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, 
begotten of his father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Personally, I absolutely love those phrases. You can see it is accenting clearly and strongly that Jesus, our Savior, is God, is God. Begotten, not made. Why is that phrase so crucial? Because the Arians believed that Jesus Christ was created He was made sometime in the realm of eternity. That he wasn't co-eternal with the Father. Being of one substance with the Father. By whom all things were made. Who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. And was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. And was made man. John's gospel has a serious and heavy emphasis that Jesus is self-conscious of his pre-existence that is eternally, co-eternal, if you will, with his father. But before we go on, you may have this question. (laughs) Is there anyone who is self-proclaimed Arian today. Does anyone advocate the Arian heresy today? Yes. The answer is yes. And as a matter of fact, they're very, very strongly proclaim it and say that they're Arians. They are the Jehovah Witnesses. They affirm most strongly that they are Arians. And Arian was right at Nicaea. Well, if you are being very attentive to the words we just highlighted from the Nicene Creed, you should pick up on the fact that most of the language is a reflection, is a reflection upon the word of God found in the prologue of John's gospel. For a few minutes, I would like you to reflect upon a few aspects about our Lord in John's prologue. When theologians and the church has thought about the persons of the Trinity, we have the tendency to begin with to construct our understanding of God with the Father, the Father as God, and then proceed and articulate the Son as God, and then proceed to understand and articulate the Holy Spirit as God. There is good reason, there's good biblical reason to proceed in this direction. For example, our formula for baptism proceeds in this direction. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I'd like you to note that when you come to the Gospel of John, it is as if the Son takes the lead in the discussion of the triune God in his relationship with the Father. John 1.1 leads with a clear statement of the Word, who is Christ 
who is God. In the realm of eternity, the word is always with God. Then for the first time in the entire New Testament so far, we are told specifically that all things were created, were created by the word, by Christ. In John's prologue, Christ takes the principal position as the creator of the entire universe. In fact, Christ is in control. Key word this morning is in control of the universe coming into existence. And it is within him that there is life. And the life is the light of men in which light overcomes the darkness. All of John's language is pointing us back to the first day of creation when the light overcomes the darkness. The first day of the creation is always already the first day of creation. The original creation is already pointing us to the new creation. Did you ever think about that? Already pointing us to the new creation. Christ participates in and controls the actual bringing about of the first day of the original creation as he will personify its very characteristics by ushering in the first day, so to speak, of the new creation. And in this new and in his new creation, Jesus is the one who gives the right to anyone to become children of the living God. Yes, Christ is in control of any living sinner to become right, holy, righteous before the throne of God through his cleansing sacrifice on the cross. To underline, to underline Christ's control of being the only way and the truth and the life John's gospel is packed with the Christ's identity as the I am who I am language of the covenantal sovereign God being revealed to Moses in the burning bush back in Exodus 3.14. The true and final exodus from slavery, from the aspect of bondage to sin has arrived. I am the bread of life. If you're in Jesus, you will never be spiritually hungry. I am the light of the world. Christ is the light. If you are a follower of Jesus, you Follow Jesus as the light. And in that light, there is no darkness. Before Abraham was, I am. 
Indeed, the Abrahamic covenant base is based upon the eternal, the eternal Christ as God. I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. Yes, Christ is your defender, is your guard. He is the one who defends and guards the church. He is the entrance into his church. I am the good shepherd. Yes, he is the leader, the shepherd who lays down his life for the sake of securing the blessing, the safety of the church. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in Christ's redeeming work will live forever in Christ. I am the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. The church, the believer, you are the branches. Christ is the vine. But let it be stated, all the I am passages can be crystallized as referenced before in John 14.6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ controls the eternal destiny of every human being to his Father in heaven. Now this point is clear in a very dramatic and dynamic passage and event of Christ's affirmation of being the I am of God. The scene is the betrayal of Judas and those coming to arrest Jesus, the band of soldiers, some officers from the chief priests, and some Pharisees in chapter 18, verse 3. When these arresting agents inquire that they are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Christ responds with his divine, powerful words. I am he. 18.5. And when Jesus said, I am he, those coming to arrest him drew back and fell to the ground. He fell to the ground. 18.6. Jesus is in control of his arrest. He's in control of his arrest. As they lay on the ground, <laughs> Jesus could have walked away in his own power. But that is not the destiny that he has set for himself in relationship to his father. Listen to the shepherd language. Our shepherd who has control, control of the door over the flock in chapter 10 verses 17 and 18. For this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life and I, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. 
not Satan. <laughs> Do you remember the, the conflict in John's gospel? Pilate's not going to be able to take it from him. No. But Jesus says, I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus is in control of laying down his life and taking it up again for you. For you. Yes. For you who trust and rest by faith upon Christ for your salvation, you do not want to miss how John writes that Jesus controls the laying down his life for us through his death and resurrection, including how John records the events of what we call Palm Sunday. I am not going to focus this morning upon interpreting each verse in our text here that I read, verses 12 through 19. Lord willing, that may come at another time. Rather, in accordance with our theme this morning, that Christ is in control of his own destiny on our behalf, I would like to direct your attention to verse 14 of chapter 12. Verse 14. The choice of the young donkey, the colt, on which Christ rides. Now the liberals who deny the infallibility of the Bible have a field day with John's addition of Christ's entrance into Jerusalem in comparison to the other Gospels. Do you recall the narrative about Jesus getting the donkey in each of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? I bet you you do. <laughs> I bet you you would do. You recall that Jesus sent two of his disciples into the village to retrieve a young donkey who had never been sat upon. And that those disciples are to bring the donkey to him. Furthermore, if anyone asks the two disciples, why are you doing this? Jesus tells the two disciples to reply that the Lord has need of it. Now, if you look closely at John's narrative, it states very clearly that Jesus found a young donkey, and sat on it. Verse 14. The Greek is not mysterious here. For John, Jesus, in this moment, is the actor of the action taking place in relationship to the young donkey. Jesus found the young donkey and sat on it. There is absolutely no mention in John's gospel of the two disciples going to find the donkey and bringing that donkey to Jesus. Is John contradicting the narratives in the synoptic gospels? 
are there two different stories about finding the young donkey? Which one is true? Is the Bible infallible? Congregation, there is no contradiction here. The biblical message of both accounts, the one in the synoptic gospels and the one in John, are infallible records of the event of finding the young donkey on which Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. John's edition is giving you a look into a deeper understanding of Christ being God who is controlling his own destiny to the cross and his resurrection for those who live by faith in Christ. The word of God, who is God, who became flesh to dwell, to tabernacle among us, is omniscient, is omniscient an important characteristic and attribute of divine supernatural identity simply stated this means that Jesus as God, what does omniscient mean? It means that Jesus is all-knowing. All-knowing. He knows all things. In fact, let us in holy reverence be in awe of this characteristic and attribute of our Savior in both the synoptic Gospels and in John's narrative. In the synoptic narratives, it is clear that Jesus is all-knowing as well as being in control of the situation there. He tells two disciples that, that he sends out that they will find a donkey and bring and bring that donkey to him. As the son of God, he knows already the exact circumstances that will unfold concerning finding the donkey. Well, in the synoptics, the all-knowing Christ outlines the events in which the disciples will find the donkey and bring it to Jesus. What John does in his narrative is go somewhat deeper into the omniscient, all-knowing person of Jesus Christ and records what was true all along. Jesus, in view of being all-knowing, had found the young donkey, John's gospel, which the disciples were to retrieve the synoptic gospels. If you missed it, that's the sentence putting it all together. Let me repeat it. What John does in terms of the narrative is Jesus, in view of being all-knowing, had found the young donkey. John's gospel, which the disciples were sent to retrieve the synoptic gospels. No contradiction here. The Bible is infallible. 
John records this deeper supernatural activity of Christ to show how wonderfully gracious and loving our Savior is for all of us who trust, who love and obey our sovereign deliverer. Jesus was in control of his destiny. He entered Jerusalem on his own accord as the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of his sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the true vine, the way and the truth and the life. All of this for those who are given the free gift, the free gift of redemption from the Father to through him. And what awaited him as he entered humbly upon the young donkey into Jerusalem? What awaited him? Execution. Execution of the perfect, innocent God-man in the city of David for each of us. Temporal Jerusalem had become a pit and a beast of wretched iniquity. Yes, the daughter of Zion. Jerusalem will see the king who is the fulfillment of David's reign coming, coming, in the, coming to ride upon a donkey into that city. Not on a triumphant horse but on a lowly donkey. But the execution in temporal Jerusalem will not be the final, final destiny of the word of God who became flesh. Oh no, the true and eternal Zion awaited him by virtue of his resurrection. Yes, the day of David returning the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem is now eternally fulfilled on our behalf, on your, your behalf. Christ, in covenantal oath of the covenant of grace, controlled this outcome just for you, just for you. Join, congregation, join in voice and praise with the psalmist for Christ's entrance by resurrection and ascension into the eternal heavenly Zion. Lift up your heads, O gates. And lift them up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. 
Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it be not only upon your tongue, but let it be in your hearts. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of glory. He, Christ, your Christ, has entered the eternal Zion for your glorification. Your glorification. Let's pray. The King of glory has come. We know that he has entered into the heavenly Zion. We can sing this morning in our hearts. Hosanna, Hosanna cometh. He cometh indeed to save us. And now he has entered into the glorious presence of the Father in which he brings all his children by faith into that same presence. Let us have hearts this morning that rejoice of this entrance, this glorious entrance beyond temporal Jerusalem into a heavenly Jerusalem and Zion. Bless us in our presence by faith that is even presently enjoying that exaltation. In Christ's name, amen.